brought a Bible with you this morning, you might want to turn to Judges, book of Judges in chapter 6. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about living a bigger life. Living a bigger life. I have a sense in my heart, and maybe some of you do as well, that if we're really going to do the job we're called to do, if we're really going to have the impact in society and the world that we want to have, we're going to have to step up and learn to live a bigger life. Amen? Amen. Judges chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? When you read these first few verses of the sixth chapter of Judges, you get a picture of the people of God not living the life they were called to live. It says there in uh, verse 6, the, 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 so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the enemy, because of the Midianites. Something's wrong in this text of the Scripture. Something's missing here. They're not living the life that God's 
called them to. When you think about the history of, of the children of Israel, all the time that they were with Moses and going through the wilderness, and then the Joshua generation that rises up and they go into the promised land. There's so much potential for the children of Israel, but now it's like it's all gone wrong. It's kind of disappointing, isn't it? Instead of living the life that God has for them, living this kind of overcoming victorious life uh, in the land of promise, they're hiding scared of the enemy. The enemy keeps coming and raiding them, stealing all their crops. I mean, they are just on the back foot. They are living a defensive kind of life. Susan said during the sort of announcement thing about the women's, the women's ministry that's coming up in September. And I, I, and I said earlier, I, I want to go to the women's thing. It sounds awesome. Sounds fantastic. And one of the things she said was that the context of life is battle. It's battle. If you want to understand the story of your life, if you want your life to make sense, you have to understand the larger story that you are living in. Or else your life will never make sense. Have you ever been, have you ever been out, uh, you know, and you've come home maybe one evening and your spouse or somebody you know is watching a film, watching a movie, and it's kind of halfway through the movie, and you come into the room and you sit down and you try and understand the movie, but you have no idea what's going on, do you? You're just kind of lost. You don't know what's happening. And the reason is because you don't have a context for the story. You didn't start at the beginning. Or imagine trying to pick up a book and start reading from chapter 8. And it's kind of good, but you don't really know what the book's about because you didn't start at the beginning. Often I find that believers are scratching their heads, trying to figure out what is my life about, and you struggle to find the, the, the reason for your life because you haven't got the context of your life right. right. You think you were just born into a world and You're just going to kind of live out your life. But the context of your life is this bigger story that's being played out. And it's a story of battle, of an awesome God who has awesome plans and purposes for people and a vicious enemy who's trying to hold people back from living the life they were created to live. That's the context of the greater story that you live in. There is a great life for you to live. That doesn't mean it's going to be an easy life, but you can live a great life. Right. Now, let's, let's get our definitions uh, right here this morning. When I talk about a great life, I'm not talking about the great life that the world around us talks about. When I'm talking about having a great life or a bigger life, I'm not talking about the size of your house or the, the newness of your vehicle or any of that stuff. Nothing wrong with that stuff, but that's not what I'm talking about here this morning. I'm talking about you living a greater life, a bigger life that has a larger impact for the glory of God. That's what I'm talking about. There is a life for you to live that's bigger than the life you currently have. We get this 
sense when we open up this text and as we explore these verses that something's just just doesn't sit right. Gideon senses it in his own life and he asks these questions in verse 13. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Have you ever felt that way in your life? I know I've felt that way in my life before. God, if you're really with us, why is all this junk happening in my life? I mean, I thought if you were with me, God, things are just going to go easy. Things are going to be cool. Just, you know, no problems. No battles to fight. Everything's just going to be easy. But often we find ourselves asking this question, don't we? God, if you're really with me, why all the battles? Why the struggle? And then he asked this other telling question. God, if you're really with us, where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? That's a telling question. It's telling in a couple of ways. First of all, I want to define the term miracles. I believe in blind eyes being opened, and uh, and any of you believe in that stuff? Cancer being healed? Praise God. We believe in those kind of miracles. But I want to move to a broader definition of the the term miracle this morning. I want to talk about the daily miracle of interacting with a living God. When you are divinely empowered to live a different kind of life when you are divinely, supernaturally empowered to live a bigger life. Every generation needs to have its own encounter with God. Every generation (laughs) needs to have its own encounter with God. Gideon says, where are the miracles that our fathers told us about? Our forefathers, they had miracles. Where are our miracles? And it's okay to read about the miracles of the past. They can be inspirational. But we don't want to spend our lives reading about the move of God in the past, reading about the miracles of the past, reading about the breakthroughs of the past. Every generation has to have its own encounter with God. It has to have its own breakthrough. And yet the glorious people of God that have got so much promise and so much potential are living an impoverished, fearful, defensive life. They're just in survival mode, you could say. Just trying to get through another day, just trying to get through another week. Listen, I know there are times in life for all of us where we kind of feel like we're in survival mode. Maybe some of you here this morning, you just feel like you're in survival mode. You're just saying, Lord, just get me through another week. Just get me through another week. Maybe you're facing some hard, difficult time. You're in pain. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know who you are. But God knows. And if you're in that place and you're in survival mode, that's okay. It's okay. And I want to just encourage you, keep coming. 
Keep coming to this house. Keep fellowshipping with others. But God doesn't want you to stay in survival mode. God's got a bigger life for you than that. He doesn't want you to spend the next how many years just trying to make it through another day, just trying to make it through another week. You see, whenever we start to live small lives, our expectations of God become reduced. Our term miracle becomes vastly reduced. And so this is what we end up doing. The biggest miracle we believe for is a parking space closer to the entrance of the mall. You with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm believing you for a miracle. I'm believing you for a miracle. I'm believing you, Lord, for a great parking space today. Come on, Lord, give me a parking space. For some of you, that's the biggest thing you've believed in this month. Because whenever we live a smaller life, a defensive life, we're just trying to see God work somehow, somewhere. God made you for something bigger and greater than that. I want to pull out three things this morning from the text. I don't have long. I'm going to try and fly through these quickly. Just some observations from the text about how you and I and I include myself in this, how we can move toward a bigger life. Number one, if you want to move toward a bigger life, you have to break negative cycles. You've got to break negative cycles. When you read the first few chapters of Judges, this is what happens. There will be a godly leader who calls God's people to rise up. And so the people will rise up and they'll get excited and passionate. They'll, they'll live for God. Let's start living the bigger life. And then what happens is usually the, the leader will die or something. And the people's hearts grow cold. And they start turning after other things. Other gods get their attention. And they start slowly drifting from the Lord. And then God's blessing is removed from them. And then they'll be living in a a impoverished state. And then God will raise up another leader. And he'll call them back to repentance. And they'll repent and they'll get close to God again. And then they keep going through this cycle. You can read about it in Judges over and over again. Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. I want to say this morning that for some of you, the reason you're not living a bigger life is because you haven't broken free from negative cycles in your life. You have a week or two where you're on fire for Jesus and everything's hallelujah and praise the Lord and you've got your tapes in the car and, you, and you're just, and off you go and all that stuff. And then you live for a month and you're just fed up and almost terrible. You don't pray, you don't read your Bible. And then you kind of get fired up again and, you go, and you're up, down, up, down. Like yo-yo Christianity. You've got to break out of negative cycles. Maybe you're stuck in a sin cycle that's destructive in your life. The same old sin keeps dragging you down, taking you out. And you, you repent of it and you feel like you get over it and then you get stuck back in it again. You get stuck in an attitude problem and it's just like you're blowing hot and cold. 
It's easy to get stuck. I got stuck in the French Alps last year. We were in the French Alps early last year, and we were filming like for a missions DVD. And the idea was that I was there on my guitar, you know, and, and we would set up cameras and recording equipment, and I was singing some of my songs kind of acoustic and live outside in these like amazing scenery and stuff, and we were talking about missions. And we had some guys there helping out kind of the crew, and one of my friends is a like extreme snowboarder, kind of, he calls everybody dude. And uh, another one of my friends is like a ski instructor. And they said, they came to me and they said, we've got this great idea. We think we can, we found a great location where we can film you. It's on top of a mountain. They said, can you ski? And I said, well, just like a little bit. I do like, you know, baby skiing where you, you stand and you look kind of weird, you know. And you go like really slow down little, you know, that kind of skiing. This guy's shaking his head at me like, you loser. But that's, that's the kind of... That's, that's the truth. So they said, look, it's easy. All you've got to do is easy skiing because we're, we're going to get all the gear. We're going to go up in a cable car and you ski down a nice, easy green run. And then we get in another cable car and you go up and you ski down another easy green run. And then we get in a chairlift and we go up and we're on the top of the mountain. So we did. We get up there and we set up and we film and it's like minus five degrees, and I'm playing the guitar, and it's cold, but it's cool. And we're looking out over all the other peaks and stuff. It's awesome. And then my snowboarder friend came to me, and he said, uh, like, dude. And I knew I was in trouble. He said, uh, like, we thought about how to get you up here, but we didn't think about how to get you down. And basically, you've got to ski down there. It was like one of those Olympic downhill skiing slopes. And I could see my ski instructor friend. He could see I was a bit scared. I did wet myself a little bit. So he came up to me. And I'm stuck on the top of this mountain. What am I going to do? So he came up to me and he started quoting scripture at me. When people start to quote scripture at you, it means you're about to die. And he said this, Steve, don't focus on how steep the slope is. Don't look at the cliffs that lead to certain death. This is what you need to do. He said, you've got to trust me with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I thought I've never liked you. He said, this is what we're going to do. He says, I am going to get you off this mountain. But you've got to trust me. This is what we're going to do. All I want you to do is focus on me. If you focus on how difficult this thing is, you're going to get hurt. Focus on me. And I want you to ski in my tracks. That's all you've got to do. And we're going to ski this way a little bit, nice and easy. Don't worry about it. We're going to ski this way. Then we're going to do one of those baby funny turns that you do at like 400 miles an hour. And then, <laughs> and then we're just going to ski back this way. And that's what we did. And we, we, we made our way down 
the mountain. And he got me from a stuck place to a place of freedom. And some of you are looking at the problems in your life and you're focusing on all the wrong things. And you say, I'll never win. I'll never win. I'll never get out of this. I'll always be stuck here. But if you focus on Jesus and stay in his tracks, he will lead you out. Amen. Number two, real quick, number two. You need to hear from God. Not only do you need to break negative cycles if you're going to move to a bigger life, but to live a bigger life, you need to hear from God. In verse 8, it says that the Lord sent a prophet right into the middle of this oppressive, defensive situation. God wants to release his word, so he sends a prophet. It says later in verse 14 that The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. A word from God changes everything. A word from God changes everything. Now, primarily, we get our word from God from here. This is where we primarily hear from God. And I hope you take it seriously in your life. If you're going to step up and live a bigger kind of life, you're going to need the Word of God to dwell in you, to become implanted in you. I hope this book is a little bit more important in your life than your TV set. I hope it's more important than your internet access, than your Facebook account. I hope it is. Talking of Facebook, somebody told me there's a new website they're setting up but it's a combination of uh, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And it's called You Twit Face. <laughs> How cool is that? It's true. I want to sign up for that. That's great. You need the Word of God released in your life. We also need to hear from the Lord. Not only through his word, but by his spirit. We need to hear from the Lord. What is God saying to you today? What has God been saying to you this week? What is he saying to you? Because God's speaking. He's speaking. Often our problem is we're just not listening. My father-in-law was ministering. And he was on a TV show. And on the TV show, there was a singer... Uh, and after the show, the singer said to my father-in-law, I could really use your counsel. I could really use your advice. Could we meet together for a little while tonight? So my father-in-law said, sure. Let's, uh, we're staying in the same hotel. Uh, I've got to run some errands, but when I get back, I'll come to your room. So my father-in-law went and ran the errands, and he got back to the hotel and he got in the lift and as he got in the lift he just asked the Lord, Lord is there anything you want to say to this guy before I start talking to him and he felt the Lord deposit something into him so the lift doors open, he goes down the hall knocks on the door, the singer guy opens the door and my father-in-law said this before you say anything God wants to tell you Don't marry Mary. 
Mary will ruin you. The singer guy fell back on his bed, started crying, bawling his eyes out. When he finally pulled himself together, he said, how did you know? How did you know? That's what I wanted to talk to you about. And I've been seeing this girl called Mary. Nobody knows that I've been seeing this girl called Mary. And I've been thinking about marrying her. Where on earth did you get that info? And my father-in-law said, well, just from the Lord. A word from God changes everything. You need the word of the Lord released into your life. Amen. Final thing. If we're going to move to a bigger life, number one, we've got to break out of negative cycles. Number two, we need to hear from the Lord. Number three, we've got to create movement. We've got to create movement in our lives. Do you know God doesn't magic your problems away? God doesn't do magic tricks. God's not just trying to move your problem. He's trying to move you so that you can move your problem. Look at Noah. God didn't magic him an ark. He could have. But no, he moved Noah to step forward and build an ark. David had to fight Goliath. God didn't magic Goliath away. He raised David up to move forward and deal with the problem. God didn't magic the children of Israel into the promised land. He had to move them so that they would step into the promised land and address the problems themselves. They had battles to fight. They had enemies to defeat. They had cities to take. God didn't do it for them. He did it with them. And God will always work with you when you create movement in your life. Jesus didn't magic our sin away. He moved to where we are and hung on a cross and dealt with the problem. God's trying to create movement in your life. God's trying to move Gideon here in this text from being a defensive guy who's hiding in a wine press, trying to get through another day. He's trying to create movement where he moves Gideon into a new way of living to bring about freedom and deliverance for his people. We need to move from the defensive to the offensive. We need to rise up, go on the attack. And some of you might not feel like you can do that, but you can. We have to move to an offensive position where we are not just trying to defend ground. We are taking ground for the kingdom of God in the earth. We have to move from the comfortable to the committed. And let me just say this. I felt this strongly in my spirit, man, this morning. I was praying for you, praying for this church early this morning. And one of the movements that I felt very stirred about for this house is that God's wanting to move some of you from the comfortable to the committed. It's easy, isn't it, to live a comfortable Christianity. It really is. It's the same in the UK as it is here. We can just show up to church and we all love each other and we all have a nice time and go and get a cappuccino and 
You know, it's, it's, and that's all great, but it's easy to stay comfortable. But comfort will not lead you to getting the job done. And I just felt released in my spirit, man, this morning that for this house to move forward in the, in the plans and purposes of God, some of you know, you know it now, you sense it even in your heart as I'm speaking, God's wanting to move you from the comfortable to the committed, where you're willing to pay a greater cost for the kingdom of God to advance. And finally, we have to move from who am I to who I am. Come on now. Too many people are living with who am I? Yeah. I'm nobody. I'm just, you know, I'm just me. What can I do? That's how Gideon was. Gideon says to the Lord, Who am I to do this, Lord? Who am I? Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking at your life and you're saying, Who am I to stand up and lead a bigger life? Who am I to bring about change? You are stronger than you think you are when the Spirit of God lives in you. Amen. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in yeah. you. Right. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Lord, if we could just have a picture of how big we are. God speaks over Gideon and says, you're a mighty man of valor. That's who you are. You're a mighty man of valor. When you get a revelation about who you really are and how God sees you, it will create a dynamic movement in your life towards being a much bigger person. That's good. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. I know this morning... I know it, I know it, I sense it deeply, I'm not trying to hype it, I'm not trying to work it up, I just know it in my spirit, man, that God wants to move some of you into a much bigger place than you are currently in. Some of you may be amazed at what God has for you, if you only knew it. And we want to pray, we want to pray. And uh, I want to invite you to respond to the Lord this morning. If you're here this morning and you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you, He's stirring you, and something in you is saying, there's more for me. There's a bigger, bigger, bigger life for me. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to bring anyone to the front, but I do want to ask that you just stand where you are in response to the Lord. It doesn't have to be everybody, but if God's been speaking to you this morning and He's been stirring your heart this morning, I want to encourage you to stand where you are and you're saying, yes, Lord, move me, Lord, move me to a bigger life.